Underwriting for AutoLine this week is provided by... Did you know advanced high-strength steels are the leading material used by automakers to achieve the new fuel economy standards? Advanced high-strength steels are lighter in weight and reduce greenhouse gas emissions without compromising safety, performance, or affordability. Steel, a sound, sustainable investment. Today, tomorrow, and beyond. For more information, visit autosteel.org. You know why I pulled you over, ma'am? I need you to recalibrate the Doppler shift on the return signal. Radar's on the frisk. Do Sonata drivers know something you don't? The Sonata from Hyundai. And now, here is your host, John McElroy. Thanks for joining us on AutoLine this week, where we're going to be talking all about electric cars, but not just about the cars themselves, but whether this industry, this automotive industry, can turn a business case into making money on these things. And joining me today are Jim Hall from 2953 Analytics and Chubachetta, the former editor of Car and Driver, who's doing still a lot of writing for a bunch of publications. And uh, let's start out talking with the, the first electric car from a major manufacturer in, in the, the new era, in the last couple of years, Nissan Leaf. What do you guys make of the car and, and how it's doing so far? There's stuff about the Leaf that was done very logically. They said they want to sell it globally. They want to engineer the car once for the world. And so they said, well, what should it be? Well, the answer is a C-Class hatchback because you can sell it in every country on the planet. And then from there, it all got kind of cloudy. Uh, they have a car where the, the, the battery, the car was built around the battery pack instead of the battery pack being made to fit in the car. And it was theoretically optimized. So they have an air-cooled battery pack to save money, to save weight. They have prismatic... Uh, lithium-ion cells, right way to go, oriented horizontally. And what's the matter with uh, having them horizontal? Well, when you do this and you're recharging them, the, the, packs get, the, the packs get hot. So the bottom pack gets hot, and its heat rises to the second pack, which gets hot, which is rising twice the heat, and you basically have a situation where charge management, because the high temperatures, becomes diabolically tough to do, especially in an air-cooled pack. So what you're saying is the batteries on top of the stack are, are getting, getting really hot. Really hot. There's also just a couple of strategic problems. Uh, when you make a C-class car, uh, you're taking a relatively inexpensive car and you're putting this enormous burden of the electric powertrain that's still very expensive on it, so it's suddenly twice as expensive as competitive C-class cars, and how many C-class customers really want to go for that? The other issue is, and this plagues just about every electric car, is it has insufficient range. Uh, yeah, the, the, the cookbook range is 90 miles or something on that, or the real-world range is probably 65 or 70. D depending upon temperature and traffic. How you well, drive. Well, well, well yeah. how you drive. I mean, just like in a gasoline car, you know, I can get 20 or 30 miles per gallon. Electrics are no different. There's just but, less, fuel, yes, less fuel on board. That's right, and, uh, and a longer recharge time. But the, uh, essentially, from my house to here, with a leaf, I could barely make it here and get home. From my house, I can't make it to Cobo Hall and even halfway back in a leaf. So from and Ann Arbor to Detroit and back, forget about it. Unless you uh, charge it in between and have some time to charge it. And fundamentally, there's just not a lot of people who want to put up with a car like that. You know, the, the problem I see with the Leaf, more than the technical issues that you guys are talking about, is it's just not selling. We'll get into the rest of this because none of the electric cars are really selling very well. You know, so far this year, Nissan has got maybe around 6,000 of these things sold. 
uh, and yet they have a plant coming on board online, I should say, in Tennessee this year where they're going to be making batteries and the, the cars. They're making them in Japan right now. Next year, they're supposed to start making them in England. They've started talking about making these things in China. The way I look at it right now, they need one plant, that's it. And I, I see from a business case, which I want to get into here too, this thing's turning into a disaster for Nissan. That, that's how I see it. How do you guys see it? Well, when they're done, it looks like they're going to have battery capacity for half a million cars when they're done, when you, all the plants are up and running. And that sounds absurd, but it, let's say in a good year, Nissan Renault Combine, because the cells also get sold to Renault for things like the ZE Fluence and so on. So they're, they're using the packs around the organization. Uh, the first problem for the sales in the U.S. is exactly what Chubba said. It's a C-class car that costs too much money. Uh, so the guys that want are the guys that, I want an electric vehicle, so I'm going to do it. And the, the early electric adopters are odd. They, they, you know, they, these are the guys. They're that making a statement. They're not like the regular public, right? And, and the early but adopters. There's only so many of them. Exactly. And it's a small number. And you got to understand that these buyers, first of all, do not have range anxiety. They have charge anxiety. The issue isn't, they know it's not going to go very far. The question is that if it doesn't go far, can I always keep it topped up? Can't do it yet. Uh, but, but with the, the LEAF, the business case for the car is interesting. For the battery technology, it was brilliant on, on their part. Because in a good year, Nissan Renaults could probably turn, spit out 8 million units combined. And you look at 500,000 capacity for vehicles that use this kind of battery, that's probably a good investment at the end of this decade. Well, and, yeah. and furthermore, there's, we're, you know, we're probably going to be seeing some plug-in hybrids from Nissan going forward and Renault. Uh, we're going to be seeing these batteries usable in regular hybrids. Mm -hmm. And with the EPA fuel economy standards uh, that are coming up in the coming years, and the we're going to see... CO2 requirements, same Absolutely. Thing. We're going to see more hybridization of cars across the board. So they'll probably be able to use the batteries, but I don't think they're going to be going into a gazillion Leafs. Yeah, yeah I don't either. Well, speaking of range anxiety then, isn't the Chevrolet Volt a better solution? Well, to the range anxiety, it's a much better solution. I mean, the, the Volt works exactly as promised. Uh, it's a car. You, it, it's a real car. You get into it with a full charge, and uh, you can go 30 to 40 miles, depending on how you drive it, uh, on pure electric power. If you're just sitting around running errands around your house, you can go days without the gas engine firing up. On the other hand, I can pop into it and drive it to San Francisco if I want to. It works. But there's the cost problem again. It's a $45,000 Chevrolet when it's well-equipped. $45,000 Chevy Cruze, yeah. because that's what it is. They're both Delta platform. That's about the size that it is. And most people look at this, and you know whether they calculate it explicitly or they just kind of their lizard brain figures it out, but to pay twenty grand more to save 1000 or 2000 a year in fuel just isn't a good deal, and most people aren't willing to make it. But there's another, there's another part of the equation than just the cost of fueling, and it's the convenience of not having to go to gas stations. There's a, there's a cash amount for that for a customer. It has a net present value. And that's why the Leaf is a car for certain buyers only. And they also have to live in a place where electricity is relatively inexpensive, not crazy expensive. Uh, the truth is, in Portland, I don't know why you wouldn't get yourself a Volt. I'll tell you the truth. Well, no, you're, electricity is dirt cheap, and you're going to get decent mileage. Um, the interesting, Even around here, I think we're paying we 16 cents a kilowatt hour. It definitely pays to run on electric power around here. But if you live, if you live somewhere in the tri-states area around uh, New York and you're getting your electricity from Con Ed, boy, howdy, stand back, because it ain't pretty. <laughs> but it's one of those things. That, that's part of the equation. To, to understand whether the volt's right for you, you have to be very smart. And this is the first time Chevrolet in a long time has had to sell a car to smart people. 
And I think that's one of the marketing problems for it. Now, they bump-started that in California because they have a package for it that makes it eligible for the, uh, the car lane sticker, the carpooling sticker, the HOV sticker. That adds a lot of dollar value to a car in sure. Southern California and Northern California. See, I, I don't buy the price problem because you can rent a Volt or lease, lease. a Volt, excuse me, for about $340 a month, something like, or $350 a month. Uh, I think now Nissan's got uh, under $200 uh, leases for the Leaf. So everyone focuses on the, the sticker price, the MSRP, but you can actually lease these things for not an outrageous amount of money. That's right, but you have to qualify for a $45,000 Chevy. The qualification is based on the retail price. Well, of the well, and there's another point, too. $329 is a good lease price for the Volt. It is. But what can you lease a cruise for? At least $100 less than that, that per month. That's so absolutely right. So there's still quite a discount involved and, there. And you have to, if you want to charge it properly, there's another 1500 to two grand for a charger. That's right. Although, although I will say I'm not sure you really need that. In fact, uh, when I had one for a week, you know, I basically, every time I drove it into the garage, there was a convenient outlet, plug it into a 120-volt outlet. You know, it's not a fast charge, but I haven't run the battery down all so the time. It, topped up, it yeah. keeps it more or less topped up. It works pretty well. One thing I think these guys are missing the boat on, they ought to have a charger because, you know, the, 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 the 220 volt charger isn't really a charger. It's like a fancy electrical box. I have 220 in my garage right now. It's not a dryer circuit. It's a weaker 220 circuit, but it still has twice the power capacity of a 120. I'd have a plug that goes right into that. And I'm sure I could rewire one based on Internet instructions, but they ought to be selling this <laughs> stuff, you know. Right. Well, the, the, the problem with the Leaf, though, or the, the Volt, is even though it's selling three times better than the Leaf, the sales are still abysmal. I don't care how you want to cut it. Sales are way below what anyone thought that they would be. There's something, first of all, I want to say about the Volt and, and, and another vehicle we'll probably talk about. And that's that these cars aren't EVs in spite of the fact it's a range-extended electric vehicle. It's not an EV. What we have, you know, if you think about it, if a car like the, uh, the Malibu Eco is a mild hybrid, these are spicy hybrids. They're hybrids, but they're using a lot of electricity for a lot of work. Um, the interesting thing about the Volt is that in Europe they sell it as the Opel Ampera, mm -hmm. and it has a button on the dash called Hold. I love this idea. The Hold button, you press it in, and it will not run on electric, default. It runs on the gas engine. You drive into the center of town, like uh, the restricted area where you have to have a zero emissions vehicle, or they have a congestion fee, and as soon as you get in there, you hit the uh, you turn off the Hold button, and you're running as an, uh, an electric. It's an interesting feature. We can't have it here because of this category they've defined for EPA certification. Yeah, well, that's, that's crazy. We need more Internet instructions for that for, uh, workaround. I'm sorry, of all the things that I could see buggering the software with, somehow the software of a hybrid or an electric vehicle is the last thing I would ever want to do. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, we've talked about several of the massive car companies out there, Nissan and General Motors. Let's talk about some of the startups, and let's start with Tesla, because, sure, they had the Roadster, but now they've come out with a car that they did from scratch, the Model S. Chubb, I know you've been in it a lot. What do you make of the the Model S and with Tesla's business plan. Well, they're, they're finally starting to, to deliver the Model S's, and they're starting with the top-of-the-line versions, which is what I drove, a signature performance. Now, this Very was expensive. $110,000 car, takeoff $7,500, still $103,000, really expensive. But two important things to know. Number one, with a full charge, and this has an 85-kilowatt-hour battery, I drove one 211 miles in the Detroit area, and that was that, in that's town. really good. Acro fantastic. And I mean, real you, driving. You weren't baby footing. I was not baby f babying it at all and taking it over to a buddy, demonstrating the performance. And by the way, the thing goes 4, 6 to 60. So suddenly this is a car that you don't have range anxiety in. You can do a full day in a big area and drive it around. The other thing that 
you need to know is it's a pretty good car. It works well, it's solid, it handles well, it's it rides well. It's a great package. Well. It is actually a great package. There's a trunk in the back and a trunk in the front. And, and it's got these optional jump seats you can put in the back that'll hold uh, two kids. They've got to be over three feet tall and under 70 pounds, but it's rearward facing. I mean, we had a so Volvo wagon with those. Driving, yeah. We had a Volvo wagon with those uh, seats in it. We actually used it with, uh, with, with our daughter and her buddies all the time. So it is a very good package. Uh, the thing has this instantaneous response you get from an electric car. You depress the accelerator and the thing just leaps ahead. You know, an IC engine, much as we all love them, uh, the airflow's got to pick up, the valve uh, phaser's got to get in position, the, uh, there's momentum in the engine, the torque converter has to unlock, it has to kick down, the turbo needs to spool up. I mean, even on a ZR1, this stuff takes time. It doesn't take any time on a Model S. I mean, it leaps forward, and it's very nice and, to drive. And it, we're talking 400 horsepower. That's right, 4.6 so, to 60, even though it's a 4,800-pound car. So, Jim, you're impressed by Tesla and what they've accomplished with the S as well. Absolutely. The, the, the Tesla Model S is a real, honest-to-goodness car that, is, that, that, had, that could live on its own merits even if it wasn't an EV. Even if it wasn't. And they'd probably sell more of them because then you wouldn't have the problem with charging it because it still has some charge issues. For example, it has a, it has a dedicated charger or a dedicated plug. It doesn't use the SAE standard plug. But, no, but they have them in the trunk. Yeah, there's an adapter for it, yeah. so you can use a station, but they're on their own. They're sort of doing everything on their own. This is their way of doing stuff. Like Apple, not open standard. Exactly. Uh, there's this fabulous 17-inch screen in the center that is basically the control set for everything except uh, basically turn indicators and so on. I mean, HVAC's there. There, there. There's not a knob on the dashboard and the only two buttons are the emergency flasher and the glove box open, and that's it. Everything yeah. else is so on the screen. So it looks very clean. Oh, yeah, beautiful inside. It's, it's striking. Uh, it's still a work in progress. They're still playing around with the center console. They've got this ditch between the seats that's sort of got a, a, a for want of a better term, a, a, a leather uh, fence. fence on it. Yeah, it's a leather <laughs> fence, and so you can put stuff there. That's going to get modified. Uh, my biggest concern about the car is it was done fast. They did it very quickly. And when you do something quickly, there's an old saying, you know, it isn't, it isn't really the years, it's the miles. No, it's the years, too. There's some parts of a car that deteriorate from time. They don't know about some of those parts. And it's, will the car still be tight and not rattly when it's seven years old? We don't know any of this stuff, and they weren't able to simulate that kind of testing. So there's, this is one part of it we just don't know about the car. Well, and it's also a part, it's an interesting thing you bring up, because this company is not known for... The respect it has for that type of testing. Back when I first drove the model, the, the Roadster, they were trying to do a two-speed gearbox. And the day I drove it, that car had a two-speed gearbox, but they asked me not to use it because they said it was still locking up. And but they said that they were going to have it in production in four months. And you sit there and you think, hold it now. You do not have a single Roadster with a functioning two-speed gearbox, but you think you're going to be delivering them in four months. When exactly are you going to do your, your durability testing? And so, to Jim's point, you have to be a little bit worried about that on this car. But from the get-go, the car Out of the is box, really the car excellent. Is, it's aston yeah. genuinely astonishing, and it takes a lot to impress me to the level that I was impressed. Because uh, I expected very little from it. I expected it to be sort of under-engineered, underdeveloped, heavy, not like a real car. I have never been more wrong in my life. And there's some pretty cool aspects to it, too. The car is, I think, very attractive. It also has a drag coefficient, I think they claim 0.26 or so. Something like that, right? It's liars, a very liar's poker. Well, maybe. Maybe. Maybe, except but it, you, it, it, you, you, true. Well, 
I, I, we had the car up on a lift. And number one, you look in the front, the air intake area is only about one third of a normal car because it doesn't need that much air. And that's, of course, a big source of drag. And it's got the flattest bottom I've ever seen because underneath the passenger yep. compartment, you know, it, it uses over 7,000 of these 18650 cells on end. So there's this sandwich four inches thick, and then they're seven feet over. long, five feet wide. That's perfectly flat. The front end is perfectly flat with just some cutouts for the suspension movement. Same thing for the rear end. No exhaust pipes running down the middle, none of that stuff. And so maybe they do have a 0.26 no, drag coefficient. I, I can believe it. I, I can believe you know? it. In fact, uh, Tesla's uh, impressed a couple of other car companies. Both Mercedes-Benz and Toyota are yeah. licensing their technology. And they both bought a share of the company. They bought a share of the company. This, this gives me some hope that maybe Tesla will survive because it's getting money from other car companies. Have either of you been in the electric RAV4, the Toyota RAV4 that uses Tesla's technology? Yeah, I have. And what do you think? Uh, I was impressed with it too. Again, it's power that you don't expect from a RAV4. It's very refined. Uh, and, and again, it's using a Tesla sourced motor that is an underdeveloped or an under, what are they, underrated, underrated. motor. Uh, that's the, the Model S motor. It's got a battery pack that I believe is derived directly from the 60 kilowatt or 65 kilowatt. Oh, no, it's 60. 60 kilowatt Model S. Um, it's a very impressive car. Now, it's a $50,000 RAV4. That's the thing that kills me. 50000 bucks. Toyota and Tesla have to get together, and they take an existing vehicle, and it ends up at fifty grand. I don't get well, that. Well, hold it. It's $20,000 cheaper than the Model S with the same battery. So <laughs> there you're, 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 going, you're getting yeah, a discount. But, but Toyota's just taking something that's already been developed. You know, all the amortization, the tooling, everything's been done, and they're just putting batteries in it, and it ends up at fifty grand. That's your twenty grand discount. <laughs> <laughs> and remember also, it's a low-volume vehicle. We're talking about 2600 for the life cycle of the Just product. for California. Yeah, and possibly some of the other combine states. If I think, you know, that they'll probably yeah. couldn't negotiate that, but okay. it's 2600 for California over three model years. Mm -hmm. And when you look at it that way, it's a low volume build. So a lot of the specific stuff, because it has specific front fascia, rear fascia, there's styling differences on it. Mm -hmm. The interior has revisions in it that are not insignificant. The cost for those over 2600 cars, I can see where the price is. I actually can, the retail price. Uh, I, I can't. And, and, you know, again, this is another model that's been developed for what the law mandates, not because the customers are saying this is what we want. It's for the, it's for the California zero emissions mandate. Right. And and, uh, you know, the dealers have bought into it out in California. They actually are very enthusiastic about it, where they expected some dealers would say, we can't use it. And they've had a lot more dealers just sort of raise their hands and say, we really want to get in that. Because you have to have uh, service parts for it. You have to have trained technicians and so on. They're opting in more than they expected. Okay, another startup company, uh, Fisker. I just spent some time in the Karma last week. Uh, car is just drop-dead gorgeous. It's like a you see it in traffic compared to ordinary cars, and it's like a naked supermodel in Walmart. I mean, it's, it's in a different league, and a lot of it is the basic proportion. I, I, I looked up the numbers, and if you compare it to an E-Class Mercedes, it's about five inches longer, five inches wider, and five inches lower. And it's got these giant 22-inch wheels and tires, very tight uh, uh, tire defender clearance, big bulging haunches. I mean, you look out over the hood and it's almost like looking out over an E-type hood in a modern way. It's just gorgeous in that sense. And you can see that the CEO was a designer and that was a priority and those priorities were fulfilled. They did not compromise the way that car looks for any dynamic or mechanical aspect of it. They really didn't. It's just, it's, it's, it's a design statement. And apparently a lot of people buy it solely for that reason. For the looks. They don't even know that it's a plug-in hybrid, which is what it is. And uh, 
you know, it has a battery pack that they say is good for 35 to 50 miles. I was sort of running out of uh, juice at about 28 or so. And when that happens, a gas engine fires up in front. It's a GM-sourced four-cylinder turbo, makes 260 horsepower. It's hooked up to a generator in front, so it can produce... I don't know, 220 horsepower worth of electricity. Then there's the big battery pack. Uh, when you're running on pure electric mode, it's not that quick. It's about seven and a half seconds to 60. Now, it still has that instant response, and you can squirt through traffic. But, boy, you floor it at 70 miles an hour, and there's not a lot of acceleration there. It's not what you expect from a vehicle that's got electric drive. Because well, you right. expect that torque to be instantaneous and to move you at any speed, and it doesn't do that. It, it has the same amount of power as the Tesla, but it's 500 pounds heavier and somehow more than 500 pounds slower. Because even if you put it in sport mode, where you're running on both the battery and the gas engine, uh, 0 to 60 is still 6 flat as opposed to about 4.6 with the Tesla. So it doesn't quite have the performance that goes with these sexy, muscular looks. The company's come under a, a lot of scrutiny, I'll, I'll put it that way, in that it took government money started building these cars, the Karma, in Finland, of all places, not in the U.S. They said they were going to take over uh, an old GM plant Wilmington, and, and yeah. do th in, in Wilmington. But that's for right. the next product. That, that's what they say, and we'll get into that in a minute, too. And then they've had several CEO changes. They had Tom Lasorda, who was formerly the COO of Chrysler. He didn't last very long. Manufacturing He's background. Still, manufacturing background. And then they, they just got uh, Tony Posowitz, who had run the Volt program yes. at General Motors. So, so now they have an engineer. Now they have an engineer. An engineer but it looks to me like hybrid uh, experience. It looks to me like they're running around trying to stamp out fires here, too. Right? So I, well, and they've had some of the battery problems. I think they've had one of them catch fire. Or one of their batteries croaked when Consumer Reports had the car. And, uh, you know, they've had some general reliability issues that I think are, are a concern. There's other aspects to the car, too. That, there is a downside to those sexy looks. You know, someone has said that it looks like a concept car for the street, and when uh, concept cars are made for production, they always lose some of the sexiness. Well, this one didn't lose any of the sexiness. As a result, it's a very poor package for the size of the car. Poor package in what way? Well, the back seat is tight. I get in the back seat. My feet can't fit under the front seat. My knees are they're not quite touching the seat back, but they're pretty close. My head is are in, also up in the air, too. They're up in the air. My head is in the headliner. It's got, I think, a seven-cubic-foot trunk that's Which half... Is very small. It's half of what a 3 Series it's BMW like has. Trunk. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a little bit bigger than that. You can get maybe one set of golf clubs in there, but, boy, it's not a lot more. And so, you know, you take the good with the bad, and uh, uh, that, that's what you've got to realize when you get there. Another startup company that we see, Coda, out in California. Jim, what do you make? Well, they have a really interesting powertrain technology. They actually do. Their electric powertrain's intriguing, but they've ended up, arguably, it is the finest 1981 Mitsubishi Mirage you can buy with a 21st century drivetrain. Um, and, and explain that. That's, uh, the, it, the car itself the is car an itself, old Mitsubishi design sourced out of China now. Sourced out of China. It's been restyled, but not, uh, not successfully. Much. So it looks like an old car. The interior is materials that uh, would probably make a 1989 Sentra look deluxe. Uh, it's just not very good that way, but it has a rather intriguing drivetrain. Um, it's just that there's an aspect of it. it it's, a, it's truly a question. Would you pay this kind of money to get this vehicle? And the, the Karma, is, as you said, Chubb, is the perfect California car because it's, it's, it's like the front of a building at a Hollywood studio. It looks absolutely perfect. It's amazing from the outside, you know, and it's substantial. And you walk around the back and there's nothing there. Well, the Coda is the other way around. It's nothing on the outside and there's something inside. It's looking at the set from the back. Um, it's, you know, they keep, a, they keep the prices, a certain price, they lower it. But they're going to have a hard time selling that vehicle. 
It's I, I would just say one more thing about the camera. I wouldn't quite say there's nothing there. I mean, the package is compromised, but in fact, it's a functional plug-in hybrid that does work. And uh, but it's, you know, but it, but <clears throat> what it is, it's, it's not as good as you might expect. Yeah, and and so much of it is the facade. Well, the look is, is you know, the, is everything. It's a lot of the virtue right, of yeah. the car. But it, but if you live in Beverly Hills, you could easily do a lot of your daily errands on uh, purely electric power, and you can still drive it up to Napa Valley if you want. So it, it will do that, uh, and very effectively. The one thing that I find uh, interesting about Coda, though, is it didn't pay any money to develop a car. It's getting this old Mitsubishi Lancer. It's putting in 21st century technology. So what I'm intrigued about is the only real investment for the company has been in the batteries and the electric motor and now a distribution the only system investment. and all that. Yeah, yeah, the only investment, right. <laughs> but what I'm getting at is they don't have a, a big investment nut that they have to cover. I, I agree with you, Jim, that the car, it's, it's old fashioned. They do have a new model coming, but it's still three years away. So for yeah, me, the I question is- It looks like a 1994 Mitsubishi. No, no, I, I, I think it'll be pretty good based on what I'm hearing. And, and they're changing sources in China. But you see, the question is, will they be around in three years? That's the question. If they can hold on long enough, and that's the one thing is, it looks like they're very well funded. I mean, very well funded. So if they hold on for three years, I like their business model of not having to invest like Tesla has done with its own Model S, massive investment up front that it now has to overcome. So to me, that's the real question. Are EVs really going to make it? Or are plug-ins the right way to go? Or is all of a sudden this uh, shale oil and shale gas going to change the equation and they'll never be cost-effective? John, what do you th the answer is yes, and I'll tell you why. You're going to have to have more electrification in cars, and there isn't a company on Earth that would not like to convert, for the sake of, argue, sake of argument, 30% of its production to EVs, because that is that, when you do that, think of the cost savings in emissions certification. That money you don't spend anymore. It's gone. The only emissions we have to worry about is evaporative emissions for things like the washer fluid. Honest to God, companies would save a lot of money, and they know that. And they're all hoping there'll be a battery breakthrough or they'll get the economies to scale up. So they have to do it, and they have to do it for the ZEV mandate. The question is, how much of our mix is going to be pure electrics? How much of it is going to be spicy hybrids? How much of it is going to be? Because they're in the future. We've got them. But, but there is some aspect of this plug-in hybrid you need to discuss. Because you look at this Karma, and... You know, it basically has two full powertrains. Now, you can say, okay, it doesn't have a transmission, but the gasoline engine is connected to a big generator, a big, powerful generator, probably as heavy and as expensive as a transmission is. And then it has the whole electric powertrain. So you can talk about economies of scale. You can mass produce these things till kingdom come. A car with two powertrains is going to cost more than a car with one powertrain. I mean, there's, there's no getting around that fact. No, there isn't. And that's why this is going to be so fascinating to watch. You know, my only caveat is these cars are selling nowhere near what anybody, well, what most people were saying they were going to sell. And this is a, a global issue. They're not selling well in Japan or Europe or but, China, but, anywhere. But look, you know. And we're Jim, down to the end. Make it quick. Okay. Jim has already said that most of the buyers of these cars, the initial buyers, are environmental zealots, or they're very concerned about it. They're the true believers. For the mainstream people, they, by and large, don't buy these cars if they don't make economic sense. And they don't make economic sense today and probably won't for a whole bunch of years. And with that, we're going to have to wrap it up. Chubba Chetta, thanks so much for being here. Jim Hall, you too. And I want to thank all of you for having tuned into AutoLine This Week. Underwriting for AutoLine This Week is provided by... Did you know advanced high-strength steels are the leading material used by automakers to achieve the new fuel economy standards? Advanced high-strength steels are lighter in weight and reduce greenhouse gas emissions without compromising safety, performance, or affordability. Steel, a sound, sustainable investment.
today, tomorrow, and beyond. For more information, visit autosteel.org. Why? Because plants need water to grow. Because baseball's played in the summer. Oxygen and hydrogen. Because I forgot to get a receipt. Why? Why not? Why? Why don't you go ask your dad? Do Sonata drivers know something you don't? The Sonata from Hyundai. 